Assalamu alaikum and welcome to the Habibis podcast. Three game developers drinking good Arab tea. I'm your host for this week, Osama Dorias. And I'm Fauzi Mesmar. And I'm Rami Ismail. So, uh, I, I, I wish I had stories to tell. Uh, I wish I had lots of stories to tell. But basically my week was, was this. I, I played Persona 5 Strikers and I uh-huh. finished it. And it was exceptionally good. Good. Um, I, you you kind of wonder how they can transfer all of that charm and all of that that rebelliousness and all of the sort of like tropes of a Persona game into uh, you know a, a hack and slash basically. Uh, they did it. Everything from the first fight to the last fight, it's all there. The the plot twists, the the moments that make you cheer, the moments that make you sad. It's just it's it's one hundred percent a Persona game, and I'm also entirely sure that if I think back about these games, that I won't be able to distinguish them from memory. So, wow, so that's high praise. So yeah, what you need to tell praise. me is that I can get to experience more Persona Five. Yes. That's exactly it. It's just genuinely, it, it mapped onto... I went, after I finished it, I visited my mom yesterday and she asked about it because she'd read about it on Twitter. And uh, she played Persona 5, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it was her first It was her first JRPG. And uh, she asked if she should play Strikers. And I said, well, you know, in terms of gameplay, it's very different. It's more towards Nier Automata, which she has also played. Mm-hmm. But mixed with Persona... Uh, because you know those are two games she she's played and understands and so i looked up some parts from persona 5 because i wanted to remind my mom of what the story was a lot of her early games she remembers the feelings but not the story because she was so busy playing Mm -hmm. Uh, you know trying to figure out how the sticks work and how the buttons work and it meant that for um for persona 5 i i looked up some story beats for her including sort of like the central plot twist and the um the final boss fight and when the combat UI came up, right? That's sort of like that beautiful, that beautiful UI that comes from your character that's just very button press controlled. It's very active compared to most RPGs. When that came up, I was like, oh yeah, right. That's how it works. And uh, I, I had just overwritten my memories of Persona 5 with Strikers as if they were the same gameplay because fi- Strikers feels like the way... Strikers plays the way Persona 5 makes you feel the battles are actually going. Right. The Um, entire time you're saying that, I'm trying to think of another time where something like that happened in 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 the game franchise where they shifted gears completely and it felt like the same game. Uh I suppose the Mario games kind of do that, like to a certain extent. But that's not like they're narratively heavy. I mean, anything like like Persona, I I can't think of another time that something like that happened where they cross genres and felt like the same experience. it genuinely maps one to one to my memories. The characters are so sincerely the same ones. The art style is pretty much identical, like health bar, SP, um, the, the way the mechanics work. Well, I mean, I can give you one game that did it and that didn't it successfully. Final Fantasy VII Remake. Mm-hmm. I think it's the only other game that managed that where Final Fantasy VII and Final Fantasy VII Remake are two completely different games. But if you talk about the boss fights, uh, if if you would have a conversation about you know, beating one of the bosses, you might not figure out that you're talking about two different games because your strategy would still be very similar, right? That's a very good point. I had this materia and then I used these attacks because that's its weak point. And, you know, like just try to sort of like 
when when I got damaged, I you know you know healing a lot and uh, making sure that my healer was okay. And you could talk about Final Fantasy VII and VII Remake without necessarily figuring out that you're talking about two different games. That's true. For Persona, I think it will be very clear that you're talking about two different games, but uh, it would still it would still feel uh, to whoever is playing them like the same one, and that's I it just shocking. Rami, um, so like. Before, by, by by the time this game came out till now, it's less than two weeks. So I'm 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 starting to think that this is not Persona Five length. It's a, it's a good fifty hours. Oh okay, oh, it's uh, still a big game. It's a big game. Yeah, no, like I said, it's genuinely Persona esque. Um, it's genuinely Persona esque in how it is set up. Um, it has a it has a similar structure. You go into the metaverse or you know equivalent. And you complete things to complete the, the to complete the the zones, and then there's story progress, and there's stuff in the real world you got to do. There's stuff in the metaverse you got to do. It it genuinely feels in every way like a persona, even though a lot of it has been streamlined. Right, the social aspects are out, but even though they still have sort of like social bonding mechanics, they just um, turn into sort of a tech tree, and they kind of happen automatically or based on answers you're giving. But you're not picking to go hang out with uh, Yusuke, right? You're just things just happen, and those give you uh, bond points that allow you to unlock uh, certain tech stuff. Okay, it's just an it's a tour de force in terms of design. Like I think they really started from how do we translate Persona Five to this, right? Um, and I don't think they started from how can we make a hack and slash game that is persona i think they really started from how do we make a persona that is a hack and slash and it really shows it's it's incredibly well done that's gonna be my next game i reckon i i can really recommend it let me know after literally just after the first fight send me a message and tell me whether you feel back at home okay because that that you know like that for me that was the moment where i was where i was convinced already it's just like yep nope this persona <laughs> And then I was done with Persona. You know when you're done with, with a game that you really love and then there's no other game? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what happened to me. So I I looked around and somebody I knew was talking about uh, Loop Hero. Mm-hmm. So I downloaded Loop Hero. And I thought that would be a pretty straightforward game uh, that I would play it a little and then be done with it. And then eight hours later, I was playing Loop Hero. I, I mean, I was still playing Loop Hero. I had not stopped playing Loop Hero. And that's four days ago now. Did any of you play it? Yes, I played Loop Hero as well. Um, I was at uh, that weekly event, the game industry gathering, and somebody was sharing their screen and they were going through the motions. And I'm like, oh, I had heard about that game. That's not what I expected the game to be. It was a lot more passive in some ways than I thought it would be. It was was more like inventory management, the game. And I know that doesn't sound very sexy or anything, but it was really intriguing to me. I'm like, okay, that's something I could definitely do while listening to a podcast or watching something else. And I need I need a, a category of games that fits that. So, Can one of you guys describe that game to me? I haven't played oh. it. You, who, do, who does the honors, Osama? Who can explain it? I can explain it better, but do you want to explain it? <laughs> well, I, I'm not going to follow that. Go for it. <laughs> um, Okay, um, you, and you'll see that Osama gives a better explanation after I do it. But uh, <laughs> okay, so basically, yeah, it's... the impression of that. Now I have to judge the explanation. Oh no, oh, yeah. it's on. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll give you numbers from one okay. out of three. Habibis. <laughs> <Thank you. laughs> 
Given given what happened last episode with Nuron, I feel like I have a bias against me this time. Uh, <laughs> just an anti-Egyptian sentiment here. No, um, no, I would never. Okay, uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, yeah. So it's Lupero is uh, effectively a, a roguelike meets an idol game. Um, there is a world that has been destroyed and everything has been forgotten except for the main character who can vaguely remember stuff. Uh, they walk around a path and the path goes in a circle. They start at a campfire and there's a number of slimes on the path. And the walking is automatic and they get to a fight and then the fighting is automatic. You do nothing. Uh, it's this sort of charming pixel art, old school uh, style, but it has a lot of love and it has a lot of detail and uh, a lot of good effects, to be honest. Um, and then when you beat an enemy, uh, you might get items that you can equip um, and you will get cards that you can play. And the cards you play as sort of like a kind of like a real-time strategy game or a board game, right? Yeah. You put them on the map and then the map takes what that card is. And those cards affect the path that you walk over or the environment that you walk through. You know, there are, there are a lot of board games that are tile-based where you're building the board as you play. It kind of feels like that, where you're right. like kind of going over some tiles with with new tiles, or you're building the, the beyond map as well. Right. And then the interesting thing is that those, um, those changes to the path will change what enemies you come across, or what items you come across, or what quests you might find, or uh, tons of other effects that you could, uh, you could come across. Um, and they also interact with each other in interesting ways. You can, for example, put a forest, a grove on the path, and you know, then you have a forest that might spawn a rat once every X amount of time. Um, and then you have to fight the rat when you come across it, right? And that gives you experience, it gives you items, it gives you cards. Um, but if you put a blood grove next to the forest, which you can only place next to the forest, then any enemies within range of that blood grove will die if they have under 15%. But if you put two blood groves near each other, or they overlap, then the, enemy, the player itself might also get hurt by the blood grove. So now you're thinking about all these different layers of where am I going to build these things, right? How would they be useful? And the final balancing act is... Uh, every loop you get healed a little, but you only get to keep all of your stuff if you quit at the camp where you started. Uh, if you die before that, you lose a large part of everything you've gathered. You keep like 30% or something like that. Right. And then on top of that, there's one more balancing act, which is um, as you build stuff, you're remembering more of the world effectively. And if you remember enough of the world, something, a boss fight will show up that is sort of like the end of that level. So you want to build fast enough that you gain enough experience every time you loop uh, and enough items and enough cards. Every time you loop, you the enemies get stronger. Uh, if you go too fast building stuff, the boss will show up before you're ready. If you go too slow building stuff, you won't make it to the boss without being super injured. Uh, so it's basically just like risk reward the video game. I think, but then yeah. mixed with sort of like a nice aesthetic of, I want to build a very pretty world because that's what I'm doing 90% of the time. I'm like, oh, this this mountain, is it should be there, but it's not pretty there. I, I think I should put it somewhere else. I think that's how I'm playing it most of the time. I think that's an excellent explanation. One of the interesting things about the game for me yeah. is 
<laughs> it it um, balances my my normal internal uh, sense of loss aversion in a very interesting way. Like uh, take it back to Skyrim. I'm the the guy who started playing Skyrim and filled the inventory so much that I started getting heavy and encumbered. And then now the whole time I'm just like, you know, dancing through this line of I have to pick up something. Damn! Now I have to go through my inventory and get rid of other things. Right. And like Loop Hero kind of does that. For you in a way that initially I didn't like because I it went against my natural instincts, but then actually I I started uh, like adoring. I love it. So you have a limited number of entry slots, uh, and if you pick up an item, it just completely destroys whatever you had in your hand in that slot before. So if you pick up a, a, a new axe, your sword is gone. Um, you're picking it up from your inventory, and your inventory has a limited number of slots. So if you keep getting more weapons, items, shields, whatever. Um, anything the older things that you have just disappear they just go away right first in first out exactly so at the beginning i'm like no what like i want to sell them i want to benefit from them somehow but they're crap and like that uh there's no real benefit to having them either and just after a while it it felt cathartic i'm like okay i'm just working through this did you notice that actually gives you stuff if what gives you stuff sorry the when when something gets destroyed it gives you stuff I did when, notice. What does it yeah, do? When you overflow inventory, it gives you a resource. When you overflow uh, land cards, it also gives you stuff. Well, I didn't play it for eight hours, so maybe give me a right. couple more hours to figure that out. I there's didn't so that. many mechanics. Wow. It's really interesting. There, there's, for example, there's a mechanic if there's a goblin camp, which spawns if you have two villages, I think. Um, if there's a goblin camp and you destroy it with an oblivion card or something, while there's a goblin on it, it will spawn a magical ooze that you can kill. Oh, that's right? really cool. It's just full of interesting, like, if this, then that. It's like layers upon layers upon layers. There's, and there's so, like, there's so much discovery that I, could, I, I don't want to spoil too much for people, right? I don't want to talk too much about it. Um, but for me, I think that's the most interesting thing. You play a card and you're like, oh, this is going to be smart. And then there's, like, this unexpected side effect. Like, building too many mountains uh close to each other will turn it into a peak which will give you a lot of stuff but now suddenly a secret enemy starts spawning and you're like uh, <laughs> yeah. uh i discovered that one uh, yeah i didn't know because that's the thing there's not no hand holding really the game just right. throws you in there and gives you all these tiles and you're like i guess i'll put this here oh this has an area of effect i shouldn't have put it there Next time, right. I guess I'll put it, you know, somewhere else. And you're learning that as you go. You hover over things uh, to to see what stats they give, and then you're piecing it together in your head. There's no right. tutorial pop up that just explains you all the things in its detail, and you're trying to understand it. It gives you the chance to to learn that on your own. Which but is something- did you did you did you also agree that the way they're doing uh, progression is really smart with sort of like the camp and yeah, like the resources? Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, because no run feels like a loss. Even if you get wrecked, you're still getting 30% of your stuff, right? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. You feel like, I mean, if you lose, you're you're kind of a little bit pissed anyway. <laughs> right. But not enough. Like, you're, you're going to take something home. No, I totally agree right. with that. Yeah. I, I, I'm very impressed with the progression design in the game. And I'm very impressed with the sort of, like, conditional, like, uh, cards. Like, the, the way they interact, the way they work together. Um, the way the game gives you, like, a very clear sense of like risk reward, right? Like every time you pass the campfire, you can, you basically have to make a calculation of like, am I going to get that far once more? Um, 
it's it's probably the clearest way I've seen risk reward distilled into a roguelike. To be honest, I've seen lots of like, I've seen lots of interesting ways of doing roguelike, but I've ne- never seen this one where it's just like, no, this is you. You've created this problem for yourself entirely. This is the risk. This is the result of the risk reward choices you made earlier. Are you going to roll the dice one more time? Everything you do builds more risk, builds more reward. And it can backfire in spectacular ways, but then it still gives you this super segmented, super easy to oversee way of thinking about the risk. It's like that talk by, um, I don't know who it was. Was it Zach? It might have been Zach Gage about how randomness in people's brain is inherently broken. Yeah. Um, and how people don't understand randomness, that if you say there's a 10% drop chance for an item with a boss, that people expect it to drop within 10 times. Yes. Even though that's not at all how 10% works. And if there's 95% chance of something happening, you expect it to happen 100% of the time, and you, get, and you right. rage that one time it doesn't. Right. Um, but he explained, too, that when you display chance as dice, that people instantly get it. So if you say instead of, like, uh, instead of X percent, you say roll two sixes, that's effectively the same thing, right? Like. That's, yeah. But they understand, people understand when you say roll two sixes, even though they don't understand the, the equivalent percentage to that. I think that's fascinating. I think Loop Hero uses a very similar trick where it's a very visual sort of like, okay, going from A to B, these are the enemies in my way. This is the risk reward, right? Uh, I will get this many items. I have a chance of grabbing up a thing over here. And then when I get back to the campfire, if I get back to the campfire, this and this will have happened. And it's just this very easy to oversee system but it really changes how the game works uh, opposed to other roguelikes where it's very much like okay the next level is this question mark right i know slate aspire sort of played with it with like getting to oversee what the world is going to but this feels like uh, an endpoint for that for that sort of like direction of design for now uh, it's it's very interesting fozy who did who did better I just want to know. We've, we've just been going for so long at this point. I'm just nervous. Just give, it, give, it, give us a score. You've been doing a bunch of the explanation, but Osama jumped in with a bunch of key assists. So uh-huh. hard, uh-huh. hard to give uh, hard to give the score to either. <laughs> Thank you. It's okay. You know what? I'll concede this one to Rami. I you're all leave. winners in my eyes. <laughs> when I was getting ready to explain this, I had like a list a, ta- a list of things that I wanted to talk about and I was checking them off as Rami was mentioning them and he had a few others so I'll I'll happily concede this one to Rami. Uh, but next Ooh. time next time we both play a game I want to go first. <laughs> okay, deal. 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 Uh, deal. The game um, seems to be doing pretty good though. I saw it's like uh, it's featured on Steam. It's featured on everything, I think. Yeah. It's featured on my Twitter for sure. It took me by surprise. I like I to be honest, I looked at a couple of screenshots before. I saw a few people talk about it on Twitter before and was like, oh, it doesn't look like it's for me. Then when I saw it in an action, I was super intrigued. Uh, where like, where are you guys we, playing it? Steam. Uh, Steam. Steam both. Yeah. Like you you have to understand, if I say I'm playing a game on Steam, that means something. I don't play games on PC unless I really have no option and I really want to play them. Mm-hmm. Loop Hero is, I think, only on PC at the moment. Yeah. Uh, so for me, it's really like, okay, uh, I guess I'll have to play this on Steam. I was planning on playing Persona Strikers on, on Steam, actually, which was also a surprise for me that that was released there, too. Right. Yeah. I, it's also on Switch. Yeah. But that's, a, but that's the thing, like, I played Age of Calamity on Switch, and, like, um, mm-hmm. the console kind of struggles with a lot of stuff on screen at the same time. 
like yeah. the frame rate dropped uh right. dropped a bit so that's why i was like maybe i'll just play this on steam yeah okay. i'm waiting for the new rumored switch to be not rumored anymore and see if i can <laughs> replay some of these games because yeah once you jump to next gen it's really kind of hard to go back to bad frame rates it's worth it for some games, but you know. Uh, that's why, like, I already like you know packed my PS4 away. Uh, so <laughs> that's why I'm going like I'll just play this on 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 Steam instead. Um, but uh, this week I didn't play uh, much uh, video. Like I, I played video games, but I played you know Assassin's Creed Valhalla, and we spoke about this at length last week. So I don't want to talk too much about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the game I want to talk about is uh, not actually a video game; it's a board game. Uh, oh. It's an ancient board game. Uh, it's called Sh- uh, Shogi. I don't know if oh, you... okay. I, <laughs> yeah, know, yeah. I know that both of you guys are like super into chess. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right? Like uh, you, uh, Both of you were like in uh, chess club at school or something of the sort, if I remember correctly. Yes, I, I used right. to organize chess tournaments a long time I've... ago. I used to win chess tournaments a long time ago. I never won a chess tournament. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so side note, maybe we should have um, uh, a, a, a stream of some sort of you guys playing chess. Oh, you I'd be up for that. Fine, be, I'll organize it and Rami can beat me. <laughs> and I'll be, I'll be the shout screamer. Uh, shout screamer. <laughs> you would be the judge again. <laughs> yeah, the judge. And I like how like, instead it. of saying shout caster, I just said shout screamer. <laughs> we should call it BB. Gambit. <laughs> I can just imagine. I can just imagine Fauzi there. And what are they doing? They're going for lunch. I think they're going for lunch. I, the, they're going for lunch. And they throw the... I want poutine. I want poutine. Bring me a poutine as well. I, I would love me some poutine right now. So. <laughs> oh, just come to Montreal. I'll take you to all the best places. You're going to give five pounds before you leave. So, so can I have poutine for dessert after that um, Iraqi kebab? You, that... <laughs> you, you don't understand, Fauzi. This is like asking if you can have like a kamala of poutine. Like this. <laughs> you just, some things you don't do. You yeah. don't eat more poutine after poutine, believe me. It's you like can't. You can't. It's like koshari. It's genuinely like these Montreal people, they're, the Quebecois, they're, they've managed to create koshari in a different way. <laughs> instead of... Instead of carbs on carbs and carbs, it's just fat on fat on fat. <laughs> oh, that's, that sounds very exciting for me. Uh, <laughs> so there's a lot of reasons for me to go to Canada right now. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, so we'll make the chess thing happen. I'm, I'm very excited about this idea. <laughs> but, but basically, since you guys both like chess, I think you might appreciate this game, which is why I wanted to talk about it, because I think the rules of this game is kind of fascinating. Uh, shogi is uh, traditional Japanese chess and it's once I started to learn the rules it is in fact the dark souls of chess Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, the game starts so there's you know the general kind of uh, it's a grid based game turn based uh, sets of pieces on a board Uh, you both have a king once the king is uh, in checkmate um, the game is over right so it has that in common but it's uh, a nine by nine board um, you have three rows of pieces each, and um, there's also like a lot of similar roles to uh, to chess, in which like you uh, take turns in like moving the pieces. Every piece has its own unique set of uh, ways to move, you know, like chess as well. Um, mm-hmm. Once you get the piece to the last three lines of your opponents, you can promote that piece. You promote the piece by flipping it uh, to the other side. It will show the uh, the character uh, the, the the kanji, but in red. And um, the, the now promoted the piece has its own set of moves. So all of your pieces have their own different ways of moving. And once you promote them, they also move differently. Right. So that's like, you know, Dark Souls of Chess 
point A. Point B. They uh, also have way cooler names, though. Like yeah. we we have like Rook, and then the, the isn't isn't the because I I had to learn Shogi. Yeah. I had to learn Shogi to play Yakuza. <laughs> Fair. Good <laughs> reason. And it's just like okay, your Rook is now a dragon. I'm like, wait, what? Yes. Okay. Well, I'm up. Yeah. Well, let's go. Technically, your Rook is a flying chariot. Okay. But like but it's translated to English as a rook because it makes it easier to kind of relate. But it's flying Remember. chariot uh, tradition. Right. So flying chariot wow. to dragon is not a big departure. But yes, it's it's, it's very epic. <laughs> you have a gold general, you have a silver general. Uh, there's like a whole bunch of different pieces um but this is like um the the the, the most crazy rule of all. So let's say like I ate one of your pieces. So now that piece is on the side. It's on the side it's my piece now. So at any point in my turn, instead of making a move with the piece, I can bring in a dead piece and put it on the board. Hmm. As long as I'm not bringing in that piece and, and putting it in like specific terms. But generally, any piece I take from my opponent, I can use later. Interesting. You already have a lot of pieces, and as the game progressing, you're getting more and more pieces. This is like you—you you win this game by the Age of Empire pre-strategy. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so like a, a does it introduce piece? like a positive feedback loop, or if you start winning at the beginning, you get more pieces than your opponent, and you snowball? It's like the pieces are made in a way that you can like as uh, a strategically made move. It wouldn't matter if you have a lot of pieces. You know I what I mean? Okay. That there's still strategy, like a lot of strategy involved. But like the the part that is kind of like mind twisting for me is that. You know, in chess, you go like, I'm going to make this move so that my opponent makes that move so I can make this move so I can do this move and then it's a check. Mm. <laughs> this one produces like, I'm going to make this move so I can eat that piece so can, he can make this other move so I can take that piece from outside, bring it in, then move mm. it the next turn so I can promote it and then I can go back and kill his piece. You know what I mean? Like, it, it adds, the promotion happens so frequently and bringing out pieces from the outside happens so frequently that it's also added to your... Um, your thought process of what I need to do next. Right. That's cool. It's no wonder that I kept losing. <laughs> it's I a fascinating. It takes it takes a couple of hours to finish a game. Um, right. Because there's just so much going on and like a lot of thinking and all of this stuff. But I'm like I've, I've been uh, I've been playing it quite a bit. Uh, initially, like I uh, started practicing a lot as part of I think I spoke about it on the podcast before on the 51 worldwide games. And you're right, it is in Yakuza, so you can right. also play it there. Uh, but uh, before I left Japan, I was in a flea market and uh, they were selling the actual wooden board, which I bought. And uh, it was in my closet for such a long time. But after playing it on 51 worldwide games, I'm like, it's time for me to crack out the board and start playing it. Only mm, to discover right. that it was just the board and none of the pieces. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't come with the pieces. Perfect. Uh, oh, but it happens to me, like, you know, buy stuff from a flea market, I guess. So now yeah, I'm trying right. to look at buying pieces from Amazon or something and they're like 300 euros or something like <laughs> oh my god yeah wow. they're very expensive so I wow. need to find me like a friend who's a wood maker or something so they could make or like pieces. 3d print them like I don't know plastic are you kidding me or something <laughs> I, have a I have a friend who can laser engrave wood if you want Ooh. I can ask him oh that's pretty cool like it's okay yeah. uh, custom yeah. made uh, shogi pieces I wonder if that's right. gonna be like cheaper than buying the 300 euros off Amazon or not Pro yeah. probably would be you, you should make you should uh, you should have to make an Arabic then or something <laughs> it will help because <laughs> like if somebody's like playing with me and they can't speak uh, Japanese because the characters uh, the, right. the pieces the have the characters on them so 
that even right. makes it a little bit uh, less accessible. But <laughs> right. it's so funny, yeah. like because like in, in Japanese flea markets and like um, like whatever you're buying, like even like it's a dude with like um, just a cloth on the street and they're selling stuff. Um, every piece is like has a like tiny description of what the piece is, and I probably just didn't bother to read that it like it's just a board without the stuff in it. Right. Um, and every item on that uh, on that cloth has a price on it. You know how we? So like you price? know, uh, so yeah, so like it has the, a price tag, like what mm. like same as you find in the supermarket. But this is like a, a dude selling stuff in the street. So and I just go in and buy the thing and just give him the money. And for me, wow. like my Arab mind kind of broke when I bought that. <laughs> <laughs> when I was like, when I was like buying that shogi board, I was like, um, I read the the read the price and it says like a thousand yen or something like that. I'm like, I'll give you fifty. And the dude, <laughs> and the dude was like, what? 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 What is? What is this that you're trying to do here? <laughs> the concept of haggling is such like um, an alien concept to them that I right. think the dude generally was shocked <laughs> right yeah. sir, sir can, you, can you can you read sir yeah. i mean in 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 a zoo like if you go to if you go to any any uh bazaar in at least any bazaar that i've been to in the arab world there's no prices yeah. oh no why would you put prices on there that no. seems like a terrible idea <laughs> because like the the shop owner is going like i could probably make the most money out of this person if they right. don't haggle yes. enough if if there's an Arab, they're they're gonna haggle, so the price is the you know a price is irrelevant. And if it's a tourist, you want to see how much you could ask from them before they stop saying I don't want it anymore. And it's exactly like you know the techniques that I used in haggling that I applied right. uh, applied and I buying that sugar. So like you know when I go to any bazaar or like market in the Arab world, and like the person like I ask, so like you definitely have to look uninterested in anything you want to buy. Yes. So I look at the thing and go like. Yeah, I don't really want this, but how much is it? And then, right. and then the person is gonna like uh, say a price. Let's say like I don't know, twenty bucks, or a hundred bucks, or something like that. They're gonna say an, uh, like an outrageous price. To which I should right. I should react that way, even if I thought that the price was reasonable. I go like, what? One hundred dollars? Then I should proceed to counter with like the most ridiculously low price I could. <laughs> so like one hundred dollars. I'll give you 50 cents. <laughs> to which the person is going to, like, you know, either fake a heart attack or like, you want to kill me? You want my family yeah. to starve? Yep. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I like to have some kind of like hyperbolic reaction. Go like, are you insane? No. 95. And then I go right. like, all right, $2. What? <laughs> 92. And then this goes on for uh, maybe 50 minutes. Right. Until one of us is too tired right. <laughs> to haggle anymore. I mean, my, my father always taught me the same trick, which is, Rami, if you want something, look at the thing next to it. <laughs> Nego <laughs> negotiate, negotiate for that, right? Just negotiate as hard as you can for that to get the price as low as possible. And then the end go like, you know, it's too expensive. How much is that one? <laughs> <laughs> Man, that's genius. And, and then you start the price at that price you've already agreed on. And then you haggle a little bit more. And then you go, okay. But my dad taught me so many tricks. And it was always so interesting because he, he is, the Egyptians are expert. Um, money money works different, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like in, in, in Europe or in North America or in, uh, you know, a lot of um, uh, Western countries, but also a lot of countries that are more structured in life, I think, you have a price because we all sort of have hopefully similar amounts of resources to spend, right? 
But just like with traffic in uh, in the Middle East, uh, the way the system works is born from necessity. Not everybody can pay the same thing for the same item. So uh, if if people want to be profitable but also fair, you kind of create the system where everybody pays a different thing for the same item, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, and I think that's very interesting because my dad was a very good he was a very good negotiator, right? I watched him as a, as a kid. I would watch him, and he would go and he would talk about the wrong item, the item I didn't want, right? Was not allowed to point at things. Don't point at things. If you walk by a store and you want something, <laughs> wait until we've walked by the store, then tell your father, and we'll go back in twenty minutes, right? Um, or we'll see if we can find it at another store because usually those items, like we would go to Ghana Khalili, uh, and I would see something like a souvenir. Uh, it's this, this this incredible bazaar. Um, I would see this this souvenir that I would want or this item that I would want. And then all these stores pretend as if they're the only ones that sell it, even though they're probably replicas and every, every third store you walk by, you know. Um, um, and I, my dad would ask me what I would want and I would describe it and then we, he would go back. He would negotiate about the other thing and they would go for a long time. And at some point, every time, my dad would grab his wallet. And in in preparing, he had already put most of the money that was in the wallet in the back pocket of his pants, right? And he would keep exactly just a little bit more than he wanted to give to the shopkeeper, the, exactly a bit more than he thought was acceptable for the for the sale. And at some point during negotiation, he would just open his wallet, grab the money, and hold it in front of the salesman. And go like, okay, this is what I want to give you. If you want it, take it. I'll take the item. If you don't want it, halas. We'll move on. <laughs> and they would, 90% of the time, they would take it and he would grab the last bill and he would go like, you know, he would give that as well as sort of like a thank you. Like it was a, was a pleasure at the end of, of the sale when everything was done. He would just give it as a tip. And then I would have my item. And it would always be like, right, it would be half the price or a third of the price. Wow. That's <laughs> and, but the thing is, like, most of them start at double. Yeah, yeah. That's just where you start, and like, sure, I, I am, I, I'm half Arab, but I look non-Arab enough to Arabs, and I look non-European enough to Europeans, uh, that, you know, they would always try and start as a tourist, yeah, until we could flip it around to be like, no, actually. <laughs> But but you know like you know starting at a tourist or as a local is just a threshold of how much haggling or like how high the price is. So even as a local, the price is still high. exaggerated. Right. It's yeah. still high because like yeah. they're expecting the haggling. And you know like there's a like for me it's a little bit exhausting. Like every time I want to buy something, like I wish I could just pop in and like buy this item for, in five minutes and leave. But then I go like oh I need to haggle for a good twenty minutes right. to get <laughs> to get the thing I want. But there's an there's an element of also of like the Arab culture we we're talking about the one upping thing. Right. Um, kind of like comes into this because everybody, um, as part of their conversation, is almost always like whenever they bought anything, um, they'll always tell you how much oh. of a good bargain it was. <laughs> yes. Because yeah. so they, they go like you know this thing, he asked me for five hundred bucks, and you know how much I gave him. Five. Right. How good? <laughs> how good was I? And, and they don't probably made like three hundred percent profit right. anyway on those five yeah. bucks. Um, <laughs> so like, um, you're always like, um, they're like, you got it for five bucks. Well, I, I like, they tricked me. They, I right. bought it for six. Right. Uh, like, and there's, a, there's a, like an element of conversation happening about like how much of a good haggler you were. Right. Yeah, of course. That's a goal. Like the goal is to to get a good deal. Right. What, what's interesting in the dynamic in in my family growing up is my father couldn't be bothered with haggling. He didn't have the patience for it. 
my mom <laughs> oh my god it's the other way around like here in like montreal she'd walk into a store with the prices that are on a thing and she'll haggle and, and <laughs> her success rate was like 50 percent, which is wow. really high and the, the the tricks that she would use she'd use like tricks like framing it like um oh so you expect me this is last year's model right you and this is in january where last year was like a month ago this is last year's <laughs> model right you expect me to play full price for last year's model like look at this one this one is just 20 dollars more They're like yeah that's the most recent one yeah so you know this should be half the price <laughs> because it's last year's i know you're just gonna throw it out in the back it's like we don't we don't throw out last year's model. like no i know what you do i know what you do you're gonna throw it out at the end of the day so just give it to me for half price and she'd actually manage to knock off like she'd look that's at a great. little a thing that's not a blemish like a, a scuff like right. someone kind of walked by and scuffed <laughs> it and she's like no this is this is not good anymore but it's okay i could take it off your hand right. this like it's shocking how, what she's able to do <laughs> i'll do your favor i'll take it off your head <laughs> there's like there's like another technique of going like um and, and i've seen this happen like in so many arab countries they follow the same thing you go into the shop and then you go like uh, oh this item that i'm not really interested in i saw it like five shops ago right the same one but i'm tired <laughs> of walking so i guess i'll buy it from yeah. you <laughs> <laughs> but I'll give you half the price. The shop owner then like also is trying to act not interested. Like, well, at that price, why don't you go buy it from the other place? Yeah. And then you go like, but you look like a nice guy. That's why I want to buy it from you. <laughs> and then the other guy will be like, oh, I'm a nice guy. You're a nice guy too. You know what? You can take it for free. Yeah. And it's like, oh, no, I can't. But I'll I give can't. you five bucks. <laughs> five bucks? No. 95. And then, <laughs> then you're back again. <laughs> and I mean, to the same rigmarole. To- <laughs> Like to be to be fair, like I was always taught, like let them start with the price, right, and then just like undercut it as hard as you can, right? As hard as yeah. as hard as still, like it has to be borderline indecent. Right. Yeah. <laughs> the, yeah. the amount Definitely of money, like offensive. Yeah, it's like, yeah. <laughs> you, you need to get to the point where you can still look him in the eye without fighting, but it needs to be as close to that as possible. <laughs> Right. Like you're not gonna get punched, right. but he definitely thought about yeah. it. <laughs> Basically, there you want to get exactly to that point, and then and then you bargain. But you don't start with the number if you can. The tricks, tricks, so many tricks. Uh, but yeah. the, it's just funny because again, like it was always it was always so interesting to just go, to just go and negotiate a price down by like 70% and I give them 50% of the difference in a tip. And it's like, huh? The thing is, Rami, is that the, the, the thing that um, I think uh, most, uh, like in Jordan, definitely, mm-hmm. um, when you manage to trick someone into buying something more expensive than what it actually is, it, um, then you become um, a kharouf. Right. Literally <laughs> a sheep. <laughs> they will call you a sheep. And there's like this inherent fear that's happening in everybody's mind at the same time. It's like, I don't care really about the money, but I don't want to be a sheep. Right. You know, I don't want that guy to think that I'm a sheep. So yeah. likely I'm gonna I'm gonna have to haggle. Yeah. Like this is this is about saving face here. It's not about the money. That's it. It has nothing to do with money, the haggling. It's more of a like cultural requirement. Like you, you don't do it. It's just like, well, that's unfortunate for you. 
the, the last thing he went was like, oh, there's this, uh, there's this game developer sheep guy right. that came in and bought the thing for like <laughs> twice the price. Oh, what a riot. And then him and the other shopkeepers like high-fiving on right. my behalf. <laughs> no, I, don't, I, I don't want that. Do you also have the thing where sometimes if, you know, if you go into a zoo or a bazaar or something, somebody sees that rich people walk in, some kids start running everywhere to tell everybody that yeah. rich people. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> We got we got a pack of sheep coming in, <laughs> and their eyes, like all their eyes, start like meet you. They stop whatever they're right. doing and they're just focused. On Assalamu alaikum, welcome, welcome, come in, come in, come, come. come. Um, the haggling used to happen even at like, um, and it's like it's kind of sad because you have those kids um, in those markets and stuff like that. They come from like you know really poor, poor families, areas. right? Yeah, and like, you know, I, I walk into that area sometimes and go like, oh, this kid, like, they're selling gum or something like right. that. And I go like, all right, I want to give him, I want to give him some money. Right. So yeah. I go over and I give him the money. And then he starts haggling. Right. You go like, <laughs> five bucks? Can't you give me 20? And I'm like, seven. <laughs> and I'm haggling with the kid to give him the money for a 50 cent pack of gum. but then also you give the kid the money and then the kid runs off and then before you know it there's 45 kids yeah, yeah, 45 would you, kid, yeah. about the money yeah. it's fast i mean there's no good way of dealing with any of it because it's all yeah. you know all of it makes sense and all of it is fair but i've definitely learned like if i needed to go somewhere fast if i give a you know if i give one of those kids money i'm never going to make it to the destination yeah, I'm gonna absolutely. I'm gonna randomly come across a lot of kids selling gum, and I'm, I'm like, "Kid, you're the fourteenth. You're the fourteenth kid that is selling me gum." And he's like, well, I, I can never consume this much gum. My gum, my gum, sir. My gum is better and it's cheaper. It's cheaper. <laughs> what did you What did you pay for the other gum? <laughs> uh yeah, it's kind of have to buy the gum on the way back right <laughs> it's it's so inter- like it's such an again like it's a function of necessity right it's it is absolutely. it is how money has to work there because if everything had a set price then it would never work for everybody and we kind of want everybody to just have nice things i think yeah. it's a function of time too people who who don't have the time to haggle they haggle less and uh, because of that they pay more and people who can't afford to pay more they'll spend the time to bring the price down right it's like and it makes sense and i will admit if the, we... sh- the shopkeepers in general are a really good judge of how much you can pay right like yeah, that yeah i think that's like a tell. superpower they can t- if you're if you're not if you don't have a lot of money and you go in and you haggle they'll give in so much faster than if you look like a tourist with you know a game boy yeah just standing there and be like can i get the can i get the camel yeah um it's always the camel yeah. <laughs> That was the you described me. That was me walking into the souk in the racket. <laughs> I'm paying looking, premium for everything. <laughs> that's a kharoof high five. Uh, <laughs> all the other shop corners. That's all high five all around. <laughs> I love that's it. it. You never you never actually knew. You never actually knew. You could feel like you had the best negotiations ever. And you were never sure that at the end, uh whether you whether you you got it or you didn't got it. Uh, which to me that was always kind of the fun of it um <laughs> it's just how do you make sure do you have to make sure that you got a good deal it's like the ending of inception with every purchase. <laughs> <laughs> i would hate to buy that i would hate to buy that little spinner top <laughs> <laughs> 
You know what? If you wanted to buy that in a zoo in a, in a bazaar, you'd, you'd just be there and it's like, well, how much it's worth? And the guy's just like, it never stops spinning. And you start spinning. And you start spinning it. And then halfway through, he's like, no, you see, it never stops spinning. And you're like, no, no, look, let's keep watching. He's like, no, that's enough. If you want to see it spin more, you pay for it. <laughs> Well, speaking of endings, I think this is a good time to call. <laughs> Otherwise, we'll keep spinning in this conversation, right? We I love the Osama segments. Osama segments are the best. They just come out of nowhere, and then they're like... <laughs> they come out of nowhere. Speaking of endings, who spoke about the ending? <laughs> the ending of Deception, the spinning top, come on. <laughs> That's the thing. It's always a good bridge. Like, I have, like yes, you always listen to it. Like, in the edit, I'll listen to this, this bridge, like, 40 times, and I'll just be like... <laughs> oh, that's good. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> okay, let me try it again. Speaking of listening, uh, we don't only want <laughs> our listeners to listen pro. to us. We pro. would love them also to chat with us. So how about uh, all of you join us on our Discord? A few of you are, have already done it. We love the conversations there. Uh, our Discord, you can find us at discord.thehabibis.com. Um, uh, just, so just come hang out with us. We always share really fun memes and jokes and food. Uh, yeah, so much food. food oh so much food. it's like 95 percent food. <laughs> and that's not it's, just, it's just food discord <laughs> it has nothing to do with video games or anything it's every now and then somebody mentions a video game and most of the time it's like oh did you have this Japanese food and like, no it's the best yeah. way to uh, to work up an appetite right i got like <laughs> I, I'm not sure if I'm hungry or not. I look at the Discord and then I'm absolutely hungry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. So, yeah, thank you for listening and see you next week. I'm Osama Darius. You, you are. You are, it's, indeed. You say, yeah. I'm Rami. That's how we open it. We end with yeah. Salam. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, that's true. Okay, we can cut that part out. <laughs> I mean, I might. I might also not. <laughs> no. You never know. <laughs> oh no, not this again. All right, thank you, and salam. <laughs> salam. salam. That was the Habibis podcast for this week. I'm Osama Dorias, your host for this episode. You can find me on Twitter at Osama Dorias. My fellow Habibis were Rami Ismail, you can find on Twitter at T-H-A underscore Rami, and Fauzi Mesmar, who you can find on Twitter at Fauzi Mesmar. Send us your questions, stories, suggestions via info at thehabibis.com. Intro and outro music was provided by Malik Zubeda, and the logo was provided by Ibrahim Hamdi. The Habibis is a weekly podcast about three game developers drinking good Arab tea New episodes launching every Friday, inshallah. If you enjoyed the show, don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcasting service or check out thehabibis.com for more information. Thank you for listening and salam alaikum.